definitely one thing I'm hearing right now is I think a lot of companies got really sloppy on um, obviously overhiring, but also hiring in sales development roles specifically um, because they needed ed so many of them and they skimped on proper betting and they skimped on proper training. And, you know, where, where you net out with that is two things that are equally as bad, but one shows up sooner than the other. Um, and one is, uh, pretty clear and one is like, oh, I should have known that. In the scenes, it was a small group of people that were doing everything. Slow is smooth and smooth is fast. I want to know how this insane growth actually happened. What are you doing when no one's around, no one's looking? Are you just showing up and doing the minimum? Or are you approaching it like a pro? To be a student of the game. Coming at you live, you've entered the bonus episode zone. Uh, this is our monthly episode where Max and I have a quick jam session on all things venture capital and go-to-market. Trends we like, trends we don't like and give everyone a bit of a behind-the-scenes look at what's happening at GTM Fund. Uh, we have been building this thing in public since the very beginning, and we will continue to do so, uh, and we'll tell you as much detail as our lawyers will allow us to. Um, but Max, what's up, man? How you doing? Doing great. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Back off the road. First week that I'm in like my battle station, which is nice. Uh, I know we've yeah, both been doing with a bunch of CROs. Nobody feels bad for you, Scott. You, you get to go to <laughs> hang out with the legend, uh, Randy Seidel and, and, uh, what 15, 20 CROs. So that sounds uh, like a lot of fun. It was a terrible time. No, it was <laughs> such a, such a well-run event. Shout out Randy and, and the sales community. Uh, it was great. And also got to go to, uh, an event. One of our portfolio companies put on Lockerverse. It was a, pre-listening to Nipsey Hussle's new album, one of the like most sought-after new releases that's coming out. So that was super cool as well. Um, and you, you've been, what, you've been in New York, now you're in Santa Barbara. Yeah, Miami, New York, LA, back home, uh, LA, Santa Barbara. Uh, it's, been, uh, it's been hectic, but you know, I'm going to be laying low in, in Arizona for February, so feeling good about that. And then, you know, we've been heads down on, on uh, a lot of things of the fund. Uh, we're seeing um, uh, definitely deal flow for us. I don't ever think we've had much of a problem there because of the nature of our fund and, and how we're complementary to a lot of VC firms. But in the conversations I've been having with larger firms, they've, they've seen a slowdown in, you know, the later part of last year that is, um, that's picking back up right now. So, you know, we're seeing a lot of, a lot more, deal flow across the board across a lot of the big funds that we work with um what's been really interesting you know for us specifically at gtm fund is how many second time founders that have had like massive success uh successes in their first company are coming back to, to do it again so you know we've got two deals that we're doing right now that are um you know second time founders first one sold his previous company for 450 million to uh, a large public company you don't want to give it away and uh, the second one uh, was part of a founding team that IPO'd, CEO of another company that went into the multi-billions in revenue, or uh, in valuation, uh, hundreds of millions in revenue, and uh, start another company. So like that's been really cool to see. I think we, we're definitely seeing the caliber of uh, like the talent in terms of the entrepreneur 
um, and the deals that we're seeing at like a, an all time high. So a lot of the tourists have kind of left and the people who do this, you know, for a quick buck uh, or to take secondary quickly, you know, type of stuff. I mean, we're, we're, we're definitely seeing, um, you know, some really talented people go, go back to it again. Um, what else are you seeing? We, we had a, a, an awesome acquisition in the portfolio. You want to talk about that? Yeah, that was that was pretty cool. It's kind of portfolio company inception. I don't know how common it is for uh, a portfolio company to acquire another portfolio company, but we had a company called Vanta, uh, obviously killing it in the SOC 2 uh, space, uh, acquire another portfolio company of ours called TrustPage. And what was cool, and we can't take full credit by any means, but shout out to, to Paul Irving, our incredible platform director behind the scenes, um, I believe was the one who introduced those two companies originally, uh, which is which is pretty damn cool. Yeah, we you know I, I think they were having kind of lower level partnership conversations that that didn't make it very far. We were able to introduce um, both CEOs, uh, and they were able to have a larger conversation. Um, you know, both companies well capitalized. Uh, TrustPage wasn't necessarily looking for an acquisition, but made a lot of sense and. Uh, you know, I know it was, uh, it was a it was a good deal for us as a shareholder in TrustPage, but also, you know, we love Vanta, so excited to to uh, go even deeper in that. Um, and then across the board, you know, looking at, um, you know, we, we asked, we polled a lot of our portfolio companies towards the end of last year, just asking about how things went over the course of the year, what was starting ARR, year ending ARR, uh, NRR, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think we've, you know, there's, there's definitely been a lot of headwinds, you know, macro across the board uh, through startup land. but um, really promising to see, you know, a lot of our portfolio companies still growing at a, a pretty strong clip in the, you know, three to five X range, uh, you know, the earlier stages and a little slower than that at the, you know, a little bit later stages on the on the tail end of uh, middle companies that have raised Series A's, you know, probably a little slower at that point. But, um, you know, growth rate, uh, burn rates down, growth rates, you know, still still doing well. So uh, very promising across the por- portfolio there. And then, uh, you know, it's cool to see. Um, you know, a lot of the network effects from the community. Uh, we placed a lot, we, I think we placed close to 70 candidates last year, 12 of which were C-level and just already off to a, a hot start this year with uh, Julia joining POCUS. So one of our LPs, uh, Julia Gilnets, uh, I'm not sure how to pronounce her last name, uh, joined POCUS as SVP Sales. And then um, John Henwood uh, joined um, Writer as VP Customer Success. So uh, companies we're really excited about LPs that, uh, you know, we, uh, are, are, uh, you know, really excited to join portfolio companies. Uh, it's always nice when that, when that works out. Yeah. It's, it's beautiful because, you know, great leaders like Julia and John, they don't usually come alone. You know, they have their lieutenants that they're going to bring with them eventually as these companies scale out. So, you know, it's that you get that one right leader on board and it's kind of this cascading effect of you can start to up level the talent across your entire team. Uh, certainly super excited about Pocus, Writer. Uh, we also had a couple other, you know, big announcements. Uh, iLife uh, announced their Series A. Close Factor announced their Series A. Uh, congrats to Lena Joshi and Nelson Lee for executing on a really, really high level. Those are two incredible entrepreneurs um and it's been it's been cool to see and and i guess for for the folks listening you want to give kind of a behind the scenes of how we're able to place 70 candidates 
uh, in a year? Like, how, how did we scale up that system? Because I don't know about most recruiters, but, you know, 70, like almost exec level people is that's like a full recruiting firm. And we don't charge placement fees, nothing like that. No, yeah, it's part of it's part of the service we provide, um, and it's how we get into deals. I mean, it's it's a service that we offer as part of our value prop, and um, you know, it gives us access to you know some of the best deals in in you know Ventureland. So uh, you know, there's no need for us to charge for it. On top of that, you know, we've got we we put a lot of our management fees back into the business. Obviously, hiring Paul, who is kind of acts as our switchboard operator for LP portfolio company relations. Um, but also into infrastructure between, you know, enterprise edition of Slack to host our community and then um, Airtable, Typeform, uh, Zapier and, you know, a couple other solutions that we're able to plug in. And, and then we have our, uh, our job board, you know, which we, uh, you know, which we pay for uh, as well. And, uh, you know, we're able to crowdsource uh, candidates for portfolio companies through our, you know, 250 plus GTM leaders who are our LPs. That works really well. Pre-vetted candidates who, you know, our LPs know. We vet our LPs. We know that they're great, uh, you know, and, and the people that they know, you know, come pre-vetted through them. Uh, but then also the job board, uh, you know, through the through the kind of like, you know, flywheel effect um, that's happened between the fund, the community and the media company. And then our, you know, LinkedIn posts and stuff like that. We're able to drive a lot of traffic to the job board and then cherry pick some of the top, you know, highest quality folks off of that to plug into roles at our portfolio companies. And our portfolio companies obviously get access to those lists and can, you know, hire who they see fit and, you know, who they, who they, you know, choose to hire uh, through the job board. So, um, you know, it's been, it's been very impactful for our our portfolio companies. I think like, uh, you know, when they rely on VCs for help, it's either for, um, you know, playbook support, you know, which obviously we do through GTM, candidate placement um, and customer introductions, you know, probably like the top three things. So. Um, and it's, it's, it's a good segue into, you know, a topic that we just highlighted in our LP newsletter, which is, you know, what are founders buying from VCs when they take, you know, accept capital from them. And this was a, a tweet thread, uh, from Bryce Roberts, I think it was, uh, with Keith Raboy and a couple other folks, but, um, and Kyle Harrison, but this got highlighted, you know, on Twitter and it kind of blew up and we can kind of share the the um you know link i'm sure in the show notes or something like that but um it's that age-old question of of you know okay if if money's commoditized what is the what is the one thing that you get from one vc firm if you choose them over a different vc firm what is the what are you picking a firm ultimately to do and bryce's answer was improved odds um and then in the generalist there was another conversation around this and uh i think the way he put it was uh, de-risking potential path forward. And that's how we think about, you know, what we do and the value we provide as a fund is, you know, we, we help improve the odds of success. We help de-risk your path forward by supporting you with GTM, GTM playbooks, GTM candidates, folks like that, that we can place in your company that can kind of, you know, take the baton and, 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 you know, turn it into something, you know, finish, you know, running the race at a, you know, faster clip. Uh, so to speak. So, um, yeah, I, you know, I, I, that really resonated with me because it kind of sums up, you know, what we do, especially when it comes to this candidate placement stuff as, uh, you know, a way to help kind of de-risk path forward or improve odds for our portfolio companies. Absolutely. Yeah. One of the cool things I get hit up on LinkedIn quite a bit is 
really impressive people who I know in my network. I won't shut them out because they're still at their current roles, but they'll come to me and say, hey, I want to work for a GTM fund portfolio company because they know that that comes with 250 executives that have your back that you can lean on to, you know, they'll jump on a call with you. They'll share their playbook. Uh, and that's a really cool trend. It's almost like GTM funds become a bit of a, a signal uh, to, you know, a beacon for, for some of the better leaders in, in SaaS to, to want to work for, which is cool. And that's all yeah, part of that. A lot of resources when you work for a, you know, a GTM fund portfolio company. So, uh, you know, I think that's, you know, important highlight. Um, and benefit of, you know, applying to, you know, our company job board and things like that. So, uh, and, you know, there's, there's a lot of layoffs happening, uh, you know, across the board in tech right now. So there's um, a lot of great candidates out there looking, there's only so many place, you know, placements we can do, uh, you know, our, our portfolio companies are still um, relatively early in their journey. And so it's not like they're all hiring, you know, 50 or 150 people or, you know, a thousand people this year. So, we're not going to be able to make a, a significant dent in those impacted by layoffs. But, uh, you know, I, I do think that uh, the talent pool is is densely populated right now. And, um, you know, we're able to get some great people into the, into the fund um, that way. Absolutely. And for those listening who might be on the hiring manager side or looking for that next role, uh, the last GTM newsletter that we did put out uh, last Friday was a master list of interview questions, uh, both how to answer them and what you should be doing when you're looking to find A plus players. And it was crowdsourced from some of the best uh, in the business. So if you're not subscribed to the GTM newsletter, make sure you do so. Um, all right, man, the, the last piece I wanted to chat with you about is I know you and I are always chatting with our founders. Uh, I was on a call with Houseware earlier today. Uh, another one of our portfolio companies, sort of like a, a retool for Snowflake, doing a, a ton of cool things. And what we were talking about is, you know, converting POCs to, to paid customers. And so you and I get these questions all the time. Uh, what are you hearing from revenue leaders and founders right now, uh, most commonly? And what are some of the biggest challenges they face? And maybe you and I can try and wrestle with some solutions. Yeah. Um... Definitely one thing I'm hearing right now is I think a lot of companies got really sloppy on um, obviously over hiring, but also hiring in sales development roles specifically um, because they needed to add so many of them and they skimped on proper betting and they skimped on proper training. And, you know, where, where you net out with that is two things that are equally as bad, but one shows up sooner than the other. Um, and one is, uh, pretty clear and one is like, oh, I should have known better. So the first thing is the effect that it has on creating pipeline. Of course, if you don't hire the right sales development reps and you don't train them well, you're going to, you know, you're not going to hit your pipeline generated targets. But this, the, the, the almost like bigger long tail effect that has is those are the people that you are going to promote to your, you know, SMB sales reps, to your AEs. And so if that pipeline is gone, now you have a capacity planning issue where, you know, you had this, you know, great motion, bring in SDRs right out of college or whatever it is. They, you know, learn the role, they 
tag team deals with AEs, eventually they move into an AE position. But if you don't hire the right people for the SDR role, your 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 pipeline is not your only problem. It's you know, now capacity moving into the sales rep role because you can't elevate those people into a sales rep role. So now you got to go outside the building to go find you know people to plug in there. Um, so I think that's one of those you know uh, things that kind of got lost in this whole like, hey, let's just throw a bunch of cash at it era that we just went through um, and companies realizing you can't do that anymore. So you got to be efficient and uh, you know, money masks a lot of those, those issues, those problems, but um, you know, eventually the music stops and, and the, you know, rent is due for lack of a better word and that, uh, but lack of a better phrase. And, and yeah, that's, that's definitely been, you know, something I've been seeing a lot across the board. Yeah. And so the solution to that then in your eyes is, you know, more strict vetting process, better training and sort of a reframe from, holy shit, we need butts and seats because we need to hit our pipeline goals to no, we're hiring the future potential leaders of our companies. Right. BDR has traditionally been the entry point if you're a non-technical person into tech and, you know, sure, the next step could be. SMBAE, but then they could be a sales manager, they could get to director and so on and so forth. And making that shift is a, a powerful one. Yeah. And, you know, it ends up being one of those things where it's like uh, you throw a bunch of bodies at it, thinking it's going to solve the problem. And then you realize we've got a bigger problem. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, that ends up getting usually lower level folks fired. But it's a it's a more kind of systemic issue in the you know over the course of the entire business that needs to be addressed because in a situation like that like you know maybe a couple of sales development managers or sales development leader gets gets fired for that right but like not the CRO yeah as long as the CRO is hit their number but it doesn't mean the CRO is going to hit their number a quarter or two quarters from now they should be very worried because that problem is not quickly fixed. Mm-hmm. I'm going to sneak this last question in and then I'm going to let you go because it's a big one. It's something I've been thinking a lot about as someone who, you know, grew early in his career building outbound BD teams. What do you think the future of the SDR role and outbound is? Because some of these teams, like you said, they got super bloated and I don't think the function's going anywhere, but I don't think we'll have as many. Yeah, which is, you know, which is fine. I think like there's technology that's being created to augment them so that you don't need as many to create, you know, as high as an output. Uh, So, for example, you know, uh, pre-Salesforce, pre-LinkedIn sales solutions, pre-telephone, pre-email, I'm sure you needed a lot more to cover a lot more ground, right? Like all these things were invented to make their jobs a lot easier then you got outreach and and the like, you know, the other companies in in, in those spaces, and then uh, now you have you know GPT and Writer and and uh, applications that allow reps to spend less time, frankly, compiling and composing, uh, you know, research and emails, and more time, uh, you know, in selling activities, and that's that's always what you wanted. I mean, you wanted to get rid of all of the admin work, so like salespeople could spend their time doing what you know only people can do. Um, and that, uh, that amount of stuff is getting smaller. I think like, you know, it, it, technology is allowing um, us to do a lot more 
than you know what we were previously uh, you know capable of. So it's good. It's it that's great. Um, those advancements are are, are welcome, um, and the roles will shift. Uh, you know, I I think uh, even with outreach, you know, when we were selling that software uh, as reps, you know, one of the questions I would ask is like, all right, well, you know, um, how many reps do you have? What's your conversion rate? Um, so how many, you know, conversions or uh, SQLs are you, you know, getting a month total? And then you can work backwards to understand, you know, what percent bump you can create using outreach versus without outreach. And so we can go back and look at, you know, our, our, our historical data and say, hey, pilot group versus, you know, status quo was able to get a 20% bump in uh, SQLs. Uh, so if we put, you know, appended that to your numbers, here's how many more SQLs you'd be able to get, sales qualified leads in this, you know, month. And, you know, here's what it would cost on outreach versus if you hired the same amount of reps to get that same number, what it would cost in salaries. And those numbers were always drastically different. It was like, okay, well, you need to hire 20 more reps or you buy outreach for your entire team. 20 more reps is going to cost you uh, you know, $2 million, let's say all in outreach for your team of this size is going to cost you, you know, $250,000, What do you, you know, what do you think you should do here? Right. Basically based on those numbers, I think we're running the same math for some of the newer, you know, pieces of technology like GPT and things like that. And I think it's great to be an analytical sales leader that can jump in and say, okay, well, you know, here's where we're wasting a lot of time as a sales team. Let's pull people off of, you know, this function, find a better way to do that and allow them to spend more time doing this thing that's moving the needle. And, uh, and then, you know, that's, that's, that's part of the job in 2023 and beyond is like, all right, well, where can, where can I find points of leverage in my sales process where I can leverage technology or whatever it is to make my team more efficient and more effective? Yeah, certainly will be a big trend in 2023. Uh, personally, I think, yeah, we're definitely going to see a reduction in headcount across SDRs. We'll see the talent rise to the top. We'll see more talented, tech-enabled, kind of souped-up, supercharged SDRs uh, starts kind of taking over. And that is a net positive, for sure. I think one thing I would like to see is I think tech needs to create more entry level type roles like what's the next sdr function right is it someone who creates content for you you know leverages design brand what does that look like i feel like we need more on the go-to-market house because if we're letting less people in that uh kind of doorway we need to find a way to keep the talent talent high but um anyway man that was awesome thank you for your viewpoints. Thanks for hanging out. Uh, say what's up to the family uh, and Bryce for me. And uh, last thing I'm going to say, I'm going to dedicate this episode to my papa, Ralph Barker, who unfortunately passed away uh, yesterday, but uh, he was a living legend. And he always had one of three things in his hand. It was a book, a crossword puzzle, or a glass of scotch. And uh, he was truly one of the smartest people I've ever met, an incredible grandfather. And he taught me how to think deeply about things. And uh, so shout out to Ralph. And uh, I think we can all think deeper about things. So that's what we'll do moving forward. And uh, 
Yeah, I look forward to see you in person again soon.